Welcome to today's episode of Fire in the Belly. This is where we get to hear some pretty inspiring stories from some amazing people. You know, it's always an absolute pleasure to sit down, take time out and have a warts and all conversation about their journey. I'm always intrigued by what it's taken for people to get to where they are today. And hopefully in this interview, we get to hear some more about that. From this, my mission is to help people to find their own fire in their belly. And from that, to live the mightiest version of you. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy today's guest. Success is a process, not an event. Good morning and welcome to Fire in the Belly. Today we have myself, Mighty Pete, and we're joined by Annette Ferguson. Good morning, Annette. Good morning. Thank you for having me, Pete. Thank you very much for coming on. It's always great. So tell us, who are you? What are you doing? Where are you from? So my name is Annette Ferguson, as you said. I am CEO of Annette & Coach, a UK-based accounting firm. So I'm a chartered accountant and I help business owners take home more money from their business, pretty much. I, uh, where am I from? I'm originally from Aberdeen, uh, Northeast Scotland. I spent, went to university in Edinburgh. I spent 15 years in London and now I'm back north of the border and about 20 miles south of Edinburgh. Oh, well, so you, you've had your time down south, you're back up and, and <laughs> back up to where you want to be, right? Yeah, absolutely. Back amongst the hills and, and things like that, which is, uh, which is really lovely. So you're, you're Scottish through and through, is that fair to say? Uh, yeah, probably. Probably fair to say. <laughs> My husband's English, though, so... <laughs> always, always keep him out there, I like that. So that's interesting. So Chartered Accountant, why, why a Chartered mm. Accountant, tell us? So I never actually planned on being an accountant as such. I had always, when I was growing up, my dad had his own business and I'd always wanted to run my own business. That was always something I'd had as, you know, from quite a young age. And when I was deciding what I wanted to do, my career and that kind of things, people said to me, well, if you want to run a business, why don't you study chartered accounting? And then that'll be a really good basis for running a business. I thought, okay, fine. So applied to do accounting and finance at university, went on and did my professional qualification afterwards. And when I was doing that, I realized that I actually quite liked it. And so I stuck with it pretty much. So when I started my own business, I started an accounting firm because I enjoyed the work I was doing. Well, that's always good. I mean, like I say, if you're doing what you love, well, you enjoy doing, that's always the, the main thing. So fair play. Definitely. I like it. So tell us, what's, what does fire in the belly mean to you? Oh, what does it mean to me? I think for me, it means family. It means legacy. It means serving. I think those are probably the main things. Well, and would you say you have it? Um, on balance, yes, probably for the most part. They're very, they're very interesting. I like that. So family legacy and serving, it's, it's, it's kind of an interesting mm. uh, mix up there. It, very service-based, very connection-based. It is, yeah. And I, you know, I firmly believe that you know, my business is there to support my life and not the other way around. They are, of course, inextricably linked, but I... You know, I believe that the reason I'm doing what I'm doing is not just is, is, you know, firstly to support my own family and ensure that we have the life that we want to live. But also the focus on what I do with clients is around making sure that they have a business that supports their lives, too. That's a very interesting way of looking at it. So, you know, because so many people are. Um, you know, that they, they live and breathe because we spend so much time at work, right? You know, yeah. it's like, and the company, it's, 
you know, there's so many things, but it can take over. And I'm sure you mm. see it from the, account, the accounting side of things. Yeah, completely. And in all honesty, if I didn't have a husband and kids, I probably would work 20 hours a day. I love what I do, but that's not going to serve anyone. It's not going to serve me and my family. And, and quite frankly, it's also going to be massively detrimental probably to my own mental health at the same time. Mm. Has that always been the case then? I mean, you're just sort of working like mad and then kids come along and that soon rounds the edges <laughs> off you. Yeah, a little bit. Um, the children coming along definitely put a new dynamic to that. And I, I certainly was much more focused on myself, actually, in the beginning and, and sort of plowing ahead with that. And yeah, when the kids came along, actually, there was a little bit more of, you know what, there's actually more to this than just me working, working, working. Actually, I need to have balance in my life. And, and you know, I love spending time with them. They're my children. I know that's not necessarily the case for everyone, but I do. They're still very young. They're um, four and five, so they're still very little. And so, you know, spending time with them is, of course, has its challenges, but it's an incredible amount of fun at the same time. Has it been a natural shift for you in, in terms of parenting? I mean, is it something that came to you naturally or...? It's a great question. Um, in, yes and no, actually. I'm re- that's, that question is, in one, in one side, I think yes, but in another side, I think no. And the, the, way, the reason I think no is that I, actually, I had to make a conscious choice mm. at the end of each day to move into parent mode from work mode. Otherwise, I don't approach family and home life in the way that I would like. I'm still kind of focused with my head and work and those kinds of things. So at the weekend, yeah, absolutely. I'm completely switched off from working. I don't check emails, all those things, and I'm completely in parent mode. But I think during the working week, it's much, much harder to get that natural movement between the two. Mm. It's always hard to get the kids to commit to like a time schedule. <laughs> yes. Like, yeah. yeah, exactly. They don't like to stick to things, especially <laughs> sleeping. So <laughs> like, I sent you an email. The kids are like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> we have the total right to do whatever the hell we want, when we want, you know, and you will, exactly. you will sort of oblige, you know, it's always interesting. Exactly. <laughs> so take us right back then. So where are you from originally? Mm-hmm. So I'm originally from Aberdeen. I grew up in Aberdeen. Um, I was there for the first 17 years of my life. I went to school in Aberdeen and it was when I went to university that I moved away. So talk to us about Aberdeen. Was that a, was a good place to grow up for you? Yeah, it was a good place for me. It's um, Aberdeen has changed massively over the years, of course, from a fishing village to an oil capital. And so when I was growing up, it, the oil was already there. It was already, it was a pretty wealthy city in reality. It, um, it had at that time a population of around 250,000 people, but it managed to support three private schools. So all in all, it was a pretty wealthy city, a pretty safe city it, you know, compared to many. And, um, and it was a pretty comfortable middle-class life for most people. Of course, in any city you have the extremes, but for most people in Aberdeen at that point in time, it was a very safe kind of comfortable place. Mm. And what about siblings then? 
I have a younger sister. My sister is five years younger than me. Um, we are very different people. Um, yeah, it just incredibly different. <laughs> <laughs> so you're smarter, better looking, all the, all the usual oh, stuff, right? Well, of course, naturally, <laughs> of course. <laughs> I'm pretty sure she wouldn't say that, but of course. <laughs> Oh, listen, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's sort of microphone rights. It's like, I'm here, you're not. Mm, so I, get, I, yeah. I can say that, you know? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, so talk to us about Mini Annette then. What were we looking at? Um, so in terms of, in terms of money, did you say? No, Mini. So as in oh, when you Mini. Went, yeah, yes, so when you were money. small. No, mini so Annette. Like, mini Annette was um, studious. I always wanted to, uh, to study and learn. Um, I also loved dancing. I absolutely loved it. I was, I went to 10 hours plus a week of dance classes, um, all different types, ballet and jazz and Highland and, and all sorts. And so I loved dancing. I loved performing. I loved all that side of things. I had, um, a lovely group of friends that I danced with that I adored and uh yeah that was and and then my school was my school was lovely too i was a i actually went to a private girls school and i we had i had a very small class people who i'm still very very good friends with now so um so yeah it was uh it was it was really quite a lovely childhood in all honesty mm. and talks which what was your favorite dancing then what what was your favorite um Probably ballet because it's something—it's something that I've actually stuck with a lot of my life. Um, so even as an adult, I go to classes from time to time. So that's probably my favorite because it has stuck with me throughout. Well, and what is it about ballet? Uh, the discipline mm-hmm. is a big part of it. Um, the and hmm, the the flow, I think, as well. And the challenge, it's, you know, it's challenging yourself the whole time. And one thing I do love about um, dancing as well is that actually you can't do anything else at the same time. I can't, I can't be checking emails whilst I'm at the bar. That doesn't work. I can't be, you know, I can't do that kind of thing. So actually it's really nice because you get away from everything and then you're just immersed in that activity, which is lovely. That's an interesting view that almost you need to be sort of taken away from distraction as such, you know, or, or as you say, immersed mm. into that thing. So mm. you, you sort of chunk it up or you compartmentalize. Is that, is that something you consciously have to do? Uh, from time to time, yes. In reality, um, I think that I think that there's a lot of competing things that happen in life generally, whether it's our phone going off or our kids around or the you know the laundry to put on whatever those things are actually getting that time where you can focus on this one thing I think we don't often get that in life in reality I think that even if we're doing a task over here there's something in the back of your head goes off going oh but I need to remember and do that over there as well and I think that there's not often chances where actually you can just completely be immersed in one singular thing mm-hmm. it's always yeah i suppose getting getting that away from that distraction and stuff is mm. it's especially nowadays social media and life and yeah. kids and all the rest it's just sort of burst through so yeah you... exactly and so i like the headspace of actually being able to just focus mm. do you like your own company 
Oh, I love it. Yeah, I absolutely love it. Yeah. It's, a, it's always good. The big smile on the face always is always the tell. <laughs> You'd be surprised. Yeah. A lot of people are like, nope, nope. Don't like spending time with me. It's like, yeah, no, actually, I'm okay. I'm good, you know. Yeah, I really like spending time with me. I, I probably, in reality, could do with spending more time with me, but... I don't, <laughs> but yeah, I think it's, it's something that I do actually strive to is to spend more time with me and, um, and, and find those pockets because, uh, yeah, I very much like my own time. I'm, I'm very much introverted. So spending lots of time with lots of people does drain me. Hmm. That's interesting. Do you know why? Um, I don't know why really. I, I know that you know, my dad was the same. So I don't know whether it's genetic or whether it's just, you know, something that I'd learned during childhood, or I'm not sure what the reason is, but I know that that's the feeling I have. Mm. Oh, fair enough. Mm. And then in terms of when, you know, what did you know what you were going to do when you grew up at that time? What was your plans? Um, at that time, I... Well, when I was very little, I wanted to be a dancer, but that was never going to work out because I was never good enough at a young enough age. And I, I realized that relatively young. By the time I was 10, I realized that that was never going to happen in a million years. And then I had a brief spell of wanting to be a physiotherapist, but then I realized that I didn't really like ill people. So that probably wasn't going to work too well either. So, um, so then I, and that was probably around 11, 12, maybe that type of age. And then after that is when I thought, actually, maybe I'll run a business, but I didn't know what that would look like. I had no idea what type of business or any of that stuff. That was just kind of where I sort of went with that thought and sort of stayed with that thought for the rest of my life, pretty much. Well, that's, it's, I mean, it's a really amazing early age to actually have that decision that, you know, and I'm wondering, is that connected to not, not wanting to be around sick people? It's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah, maybe, maybe it was. I mean, I think, I, as I say, my dad ran his own business when I was growing up. So I, I was very exposed to that. And I was exposed to the, I guess, the lifestyle that that gave us as well and what he was able to do and those kinds of things. So I think I probably saw that as a good option mm -hmm. from that side as well. Sounds like you take after your dad. Is that a fair statement? I do. Yeah, it's a fair statement. <laughs> yes, it is. He's also a qualified chartered accountant too, incidentally. <laughs> Apple doesn't fall far from the tree, as they say. Yeah, exactly. We're very, very similar. That's it. What about your mother then? What, what field was she in? My mum was a stay-at-home mum. Ever since she basically got pregnant with me, she was a stay-at-home mum. So she's very ill during her pregnancy. So she gave up work at that point in time. She was doing kind of secretarial type stuff. And um, yeah, she gave up when she, uh, when she was pregnant with me and never went back, to be honest. So she was, uh, she was a homemaker and a stay-at-home parent. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. So then through secondary school then, what was, what was your mm. shine out subjects? What were you, what was your go-to? I had to work really hard at school. Um, I wasn't one of those people that naturally got good grades. My easiest subject for me was maths, um, but, and physics probably as well. Maths and physics were probably the two, but I was somebody who had to, had to work really hard. Um, <clears throat> I had to, yeah, I had to study a lot. I had to put in a lot of work to do that. Um, I was, my school was, was quite competitive, really. It was, you, you were expected to sort of be a doctor or a lawyer. And there was that sort of pressure in that environment. And 
I was never going to be either of those. That was ne- I was never the straight A student at all. You know, I got, I got, if I got B's, I was happy. If I got A's, I was jumping from the rooftop. So it was ecstatic. Um, so I had, and I had to study hard to get those, those kind of B type level grades and C's. Were you, were you happy enough studying or, or had you to be sort of coerced into it? Um, at the beginning, I definitely had to be coerced when I was younger, but after a while, actually, I quite enjoyed it. And I, and I, and I still love learning to this day, actually. So I think that some of that has rubbed off and I did start to enjoy learning. I think part of the problem at school as well, even though you choose your subjects, I think, you know, often you're learning about stuff that you think, what relevance does this have at any point in my life? Why do I need to know who Henry VIII's wives are? I don't know how that's relevant to my life. And I think I often thought that when I was learning things, like why do I need to really know how an oxbow lake is formed? I'm not sure. I'm not sure why. And yes, it might be relatively interesting, but do I really need that data in my head? I'm not sure. And so I think I had that during school, whereas of course stuff I learn nowadays is very much my choice to delve into whatever subjects those might be. And therefore actually, you know, I do enjoy learning more than I did probably back then. It's a very serious question then in terms of how is an oxbow lake formed? Oh, I don't know. I don't remember. It's, some, <laughs> it's something to do with erosion and something else. I do not remember. It was a long time ago. <laughs> Always, it's, it's one of, as you say, you're sitting in class and they're teaching you this and you kind of, you know, it becomes a memory mm, test after a while. It's like, completely. You know, as soon as this memory test is over, I am dumping that knowledge out of my head I really absolutely and and you do think you know what what purpose does that serve especially nowadays when everyone has a phone and google and what what purpose is actually a memory test when it comes to education it doesn't doesn't feel like there is a purpose in reality when information is so freely available at our fingertips you can just ask alexa type it on your phone or put it into your computer and usually you're around most of those at the same time you know, it's it's always amazing how you have all those mm. you know random bits of information. So, what what was your method of learning, and and have you held on to that through your life? Uh, yeah, I have. So, my main method of learning is writing. Actually, I when I was I used to basically highlight highlight textbooks and write notes, and that's and I I pretty much do that now when I read books. If I'm reading, um, you know, factual books, so business books and those kinds of things I do exactly the same now I highlight them I make notes in the margins all those things and that's what I used to do as a child as well actually I used to um I used to study in that same way cool so then take us on forward then so you were you know really sort of through the end of school what 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 did you head off to do then so once school ended I went down to Edinburgh to um, Harriet Watt University to study accountancy and finance. So um, Harriet Watt is a campus-based university. So I moved on to campus in my first year, moved into halls and uh, yeah, and enjoyed being a hundred yards from the student union for my first year. (laughs) (laughs) It's always, uh, it's always an interesting initiation and immersion into the world of, uh, yeah, sort of, being away from mm-hmm. home and also being that close to the students union. Yeah, yeah, it's a kind of an immersion into semi-grown-upness, I think, possibly not grown-up. <laughs> <laughs> How did you find the, the actual conversion over? Did it something you enjoyed and looked forward to? 
Yeah, it is. I was really excited to go to university, actually. I was really, really excited to um, to move away and get some independence and um, all those things. So, yeah, I was very much, I was very excited to go to university. I was I was nervous about making friends and new people. I'm not somebody that just goes up and starts talking to people, uh, despite the fact we're on a podcast right now, but that's not my natural inclination and still isn't to just go and start conversations with people. So that part I was quite nervous about, but the whole um, experience I was very excited for. Mm. That's amazing that in that transition, as you say, had you were you still slightly introverted at that point? Yeah, and was that still something? Yeah, absolutely. You enjoyed the studying, studying side, mm. but yeah, absolutely. I mean, mm. I you know, I I did very, I did get involved with obviously going out, and I and I made a group of friends and did it that way, um, and I really enjoyed that. Mm. Did you continue the, the dancing through university? Or? I did, yeah. So I, I stopped briefly for the first couple of years. I didn't dance. And then I found a class locally that I really enjoyed. So I went back and uh, started it up again, yeah. Oh, fantastic. Mm. So then you got through all that. When did you, where'd you head off to then? So after I uh, graduated, I went to a small accounting firm in Edinburgh. So I stayed in Edinburgh for my um, chartered accounting training. And when you're doing your chartered accounting training, you basically work full time for a firm and then you also study at the same time as well. So I worked uh, for a small firm, Cowan & Partners, for three years doing my chartered accounting trainee um, qualifications and the practical that was related uh, to that as well. And I really enjoyed my time there. I worked with some great people who I'm still friends with today. Um, it was it was a firm where they they took in graduates every year. So there was always, um, you know, people in your year or in the year above you, but there was only a handful of us. So they took two to three in every year. So it was a nice little group that we formed um, there as well. So I really enjoyed my time there. And did the, uh, did the theory match the practical when it came down to it? <laughs> um, sometimes is the answer <laughs> to that. Um, Yes, yes, it it does overall. Um, you know, overall, you have to prepare things in a certain way and do tax comps in a certain way and all that kind of stuff. But um, of course, when you're when you're doing the when you're doing the theory, you know, the the assumption is that you get handed this beautiful lot of information to work with. Whereas in reality. Sometimes you have clients who turn up with literally a bin bag of paperwork and hand it to you. <laughs> so they didn't quite prepare you for that when in the classroom side of things. Yeah, you get a real sort of insight into people's brains, as you say, mm. when they turn up with this jumble of stuff. And uh, yeah. yeah, that's the glorious side of it, right? It is. I mean, it's incredible, actually, what some people would hand us. They just basically hand us all their mail and you'd find you'd find people's passports in there you'd find bank cards all sorts of stuff would be in that bundle because they just didn't want to deal with any of it it was uh it was really quite surprising and not what i expected at all what is does that how does that actually sit with you i mean do you are you slightly baffled by that sort of behavior or can you understand yeah I completely understand it. I think a lot of people are nervous when it comes to 
uh, money side of things, finances side of things. A lot of people are also nervous when it comes to, you know, brown letters from HMRC and all those kinds of things. And it means that they actually just want to bury their head in the sand. I completely understand that reaction exists and, you know, that's okay. In reality, you know, if so, as long as someone's opening it and looking at it and dealing with it, then it's okay. If no one is, then you're probably going to end up with a big problem down the line in reality. But I completely understand the natural inclination that people have on that. Mm. I suppose because it's, I suppose the finance and accounting, it's actually something that is not really taught, is it? I mean, it, and it's mm. not you just sort of, you become a graduate or you become, you get into the world of work and all the rest. And it, yeah. you know, as you say, you start getting the brown envelopes and you're like, what do I do with this? Yeah, completely. And people, you know, people don't know, you know, they get their pay slips and they don't know what, what if it's right or what, what the stuff is because no one teaches you it at all. I don't know. I mean, in reality, there should be something in school that teaches you about the tax system and how that works because you get thrown into a job or running a business or whatever that is. And you in reality just don't know what you're looking at because mm, yeah. no one's taught you. It's, it is crazy in so many ways. I mean, mm. it's such a fundamental part of everything really, you know, when you yeah. think about it. Yeah. Why, why do you think, why is it not taken on or why do people not sort of look into it more? Is it fear-based? Is it yeah. knowledge-based or what is it? I think it's fear-based. And I think that there's, there's a couple of things when I speak to people about it and they say, well, one, like I'm no good with numbers. And so they use that. That's almost like a, a, a barrier that they put up to that. Like I was never good at maths at school. I'm no good with numbers. And they had this self kind of talk that they tell themselves that actually means they just ignore anything that's got a number in it, including their money financial side of things. You also have people who have lots of sort of money and financial stories that they have from their childhood or their past that they start bringing into their adult life. And again, that really messes up how they are dealing with these things. And um, it, yeah, it, and it, it really negatively impacts their, their lives in some instances because burying your head in the sand about the money side of things is never going to work out great. And so there's a huge amount of the population, I think, that do do that, unfortunately. And um, yeah, I think, I think if we were a society that were happier to talk about money and happier to talk about finances, actually, maybe we wouldn't be in that position. You know, consumer debt is at an all-time high. And of course, as we're recording this, we've come out of the, we're coming, well, hopefully coming out, I'm not quite sure, of the pandemic situation. People on furlough, people being made redundant, all those things. And people are just not willing to speak about money because of course it's not, you know, you don't speak about money. It's not proper. It's not right. All those kinds of things. And actually, I think if we were a society that was happier to speak about that side of things, we might be happier overall why do people not talk about money um i think there's a lot of uh, you know it's not polite it's rude there's that type of side of things where they've had those messages for years years and years and that's that's kind of ingrained in society i think there's also an embarrassment factor as well i think people either don't want to be seen to be making more than their friends because they'll that you know they'll then be looked on like oh yeah too big for their boots that type of thing or the opposite they don't want to be like oh we can't do that because so and so is really poor like i think there's a so much judgment 
that factors into it as well at the same time, unfortunately. And there's a lot of emotion. Money is emotional. For most people, there's a lot of emotion around money in either direction. Mm. That's interesting, isn't it? The fact that mm. you know, money being just paper and plastic and yes. metal and whatever, but... Yeah, absolutely. Money, all, money is just a tool. That's all it is. It's compl- that's, there's nothing more than that. It's a tool. Um, but there's all, this, there's all this other stuff that's associated with it for people. Do you, do you like money? Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I do like money. Um, that's a, that was yeah, a very I, strong yes and a very central <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, the, I think what's not to like about it in reality, mm. you know, the more money that we make, the more we can help, support, give, whether that's to our own families, to other places, whether that's to society as a whole. I think that in generating money, it can and should be used in a positive way. Because mm. I know for a lot of people, as you said, it has negative connotations, right? Mm. Yeah, it does. Yes, very much so. Um, you know, there's, there's all these sort of things, you know, Oh, you know, money doesn't grow on trees. Only crooks have money. All these types of you know, thought, thoughts and that people have or things they've been told. And I think that generates the negativity around money a lot of the time. Hmm. Just going back a bit in terms of, you know, your, your introvertedness and, and that side. I mean, did, mm. was that, I mean, what was your sort of self-talk? I mean, is, it, is are you generally, mm. you come across very positive, very factual, very kinesthetic, you know, just very mm. feeling, sensing and doing type thing? Yeah. Was I mean, what is your internal language like then and now? Yeah, that very very kinesthetic. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Um, and I've I've always been pretty positive. Of course, there's times where I'm a bit grumpy. Quite frankly, ask my husband; he'll be like, "Yes, she can be grumpy." Um, you know that happens. But actually, most of my life, I've been very very positive. Um, that that is kind of who I am really I don't I don't I don't say mantras or have any like fancy affirmations that I do or any of that stuff um I just think that generally people are good generally the world is a nice place and actually we should just all be kind to each other that's you know that is how I view life and therefore um that's a good thing do you, I mean, you're saying obviously there's no mantras and affirmations mm. there, right? Do, do you have to protect yourself from other people in, in terms of, because I mean, some people will quite happily spread their message yes. on you whether you want to or not. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think for me, that's about boundary setting and making sure that you understand when to, who to listen to and when and when to walk away from conversations and when to say, actually, this relationship is not a good one for me. And whether that's friends or family or whatever that is. And and I'm not saying like dump all your friends and family, but make sure you put those boundaries in place so that you know, you know, if a discussion goes in this direction, actually, you're going to say, you know what, I don't want to, I'm not interested in speaking about that, or whatever that needs to be in order to protect yourself at the same time. Hmm. Sorry, what, what do you love talking about? And what don't you love talking about? Oh, uh, what do I love talking about? 
I love talking about business in general. I love speaking about business. That's why one reason I love what I do is that I get to speak to so many business owners and I really enjoy those conversations. I love learning about people's businesses, what they do, what drives them. So I love that. I love speaking about my family. Um, that gives me a lot of joy speaking about my kids and my husband and all those things I love speaking about. Um, what don't I like speaking about? Um, what came to my mind there was emotions, emotional intelligence, conflict, those types of things. I don't like speaking about them. I'm not very good with those things. It's what I tell myself anyway, interestingly. No, it's interesting. And and it's interesting. You're very, you come across, sorry, as as Mm. very self-aware. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It's always, yeah, I suppose with, well, with kids, kids do tend to bring in an emotional side to life as well. So it's a very different. They do. And actually, I think the really interesting thing with children is they wear all their emotions. So you can see them go through a raft of emotions during the day. And of course, we as adults also go through all those emotions in the day. But I think that often we um, either push those to one side or suppress them. I mean, clearly we don't show them as children do. Otherwise, you know, the world would melt down quite frankly, but it's really interesting. I think to watch a child throughout the day, how they do go between their emotions and how you can really see that's a lot, you know, a lot of the time with our kids, we will say to them, you know, what are you feeling now? How are you feeling? What's, what feeling is this? You know, cause you can see them like they'll shout or they'll cry or they'll, you know, be hysterically laughing and to say to them, you know, for them to identify what that emotion is and understand, it, I think it's really important as they become adults. Mm. It's interesting because they do, they sort of, they blow up and they mm. blow over very quickly too. Yes. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Within <laughs> seconds. My four-year-old, I can go from being her favorite to uh, I don't love you anymore. To yes. Within ten seconds, it was like, yeah. wow, that was a that was an emotional shift. Yeah, it's incredible, <laughs> isn't it? I'm the same as I say, mine are five and four, five and four. So I have ex- we have exactly the same in our house. And one minute they are saying that they're each other's best friends and they want to marry each other and all this kind of stuff. Of course, not realizing that <laughs> I can't do that. But <laughs> then, and the next minute they're they're hating each other, and it's yeah, it's um, it is incredible the the range that they go through within very very short periods of time. And we do that as adults too. Mm. there's something very um something very peaceful about that though they don't tend to pull the emotional baggage and i suppose Mm. it's a bit like a i mean it's it's a bit like money as you were saying there in terms of money's just money you know their emotion is their emotion and what they see they react to yeah before they get into years and layers of (laughs) stuff (laughs) and beliefs you know all it's kind of going yeah it's just it's just that fair enough blow up if you want to you know Mm -hmm. I'm, i'm gonna go back a little bit you said you said there's mm. certain times you get a bit grumpy. What what makes you grumpy? Yeah. Lack of sleep makes me grumpy for mm. sure. Uh, that's a big one. <laughs> um, what makes me feeling like I'm being taken for granted makes me grumpy. Okay. I rarely am incidentally, but sometimes I, um, I may decide to read into a situation differently than how it actually is. Um, and that will then make me grumpy. Um, what else makes me grumpy? It often links back to lack of sleep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the, the situation is the situation, but it will often be because I'm not rested and I don't feel, you know, I don't feel like I've rejuvenated my body and my mind. Um, so it may be that the situations exist, but when you, when you funnel it down to the core thing, 
It's usually because I'm tired or hungry. I am a really good hangry person. Um, so yeah, <laughs> tired or hungry. <laughs> so they're the two I that really one, can trigger me. I have one of those in my house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My wife is there. It's like, if you don't feed her, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> no, like- yeah. That's, that's the same with me. It's honestly, it's, it's very funny. It's uh, not funny for everyone around me, obviously, mm. but looking back at the events, it's very funny. And you can really see that it's uh, that it can be in relation to just needing to eat. So that sort of Snickers adverts right up your street then, you know? Mm, sort of- <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Bringing out the crazy lady. Oh, here we go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah like, definitely. Not that I'm saying you're crazy, of course. I'm referring to I my won't own. take... I- I'm not taking it personally. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So tell me, so you, you really sort of through that, that period then of, um, you know, getting up to your, your chartership and things. And then where mm. did you go from there? So after I was qualified, um, in my final year of qualifying, I met a boy, a boy who happens to now be my husband. But at that point, he was living in London and I was living in Edinburgh. So we met at the new year and my training contract was up in the September. So I was planning on leaving my, my training firm anyway, after I qualified, that was always my plan. I'd never planned to stay. I thought I'll find something else, get some more experience. And as time was going on, uh, you know, we had a discussion about, okay, well, what do you think about moving to London? Um, he was at that point in time, he was an energy and gas trader. And so he, he wasn't really able to move. He had to be down South. Um, so, so, okay, fine. So moved to London, um, came in the sort of final month I was doing, I came, was coming down for interviews, having days off and all those kinds of things. And I took a job as a financial controller, um, with Goldman Sachs and moved down to London um at that point in time and yeah and moved in moved in with Alex well that's quite a well one I suppose changing location the boys you know getting to see him and then also (laughs) into a big firm as well I mean it's it's, it's all three big changes right it was huge yeah it was really huge you know going from that very small accounting firm three partner firm there's probably I don't know maybe 30 employees to Goldman Sachs in the city was insane. It was just such an incredibly huge culture shift and jump. And uh, even little things like the firm I trained with, you got an hour's lunch break. You could switch off your computer and you got to... That does not happen at Goldman Sachs. You don't, you don't get to sit and twiddle your thumbs for an hour in the middle of the day. That does not happen. You know, the, the office I was in had an on-site doctor, an on-site dentist, an on-site gym, an on-site pretty much everything, dry cleaners, so that basically you didn't have to leave the office. I mean, that was, that's essentially how it was set up. So an incredibly um, huge culture shift from one to the other, for sure. Hmm. It is always interesting because I know that, you know, as you say, the dry cleaning, everything's kind of mm. more or less conveniently there and going, this is really handy. Yeah. But the thing is, you that's... think it's handy for the first month or two. And after that, you're like, hang on. <laughs> this, is, this is designed so that I only have to go home and sleep. 
and then I come back again. And so, so yeah, I had that as well. And then also moving from Edinburgh, I used to walk to work when I was in Edinburgh. And then I was getting on the tube every day, that whole situation with, you know, hundreds of thousands of other people every single morning. Again, that was a big, big shift in my, in my life, really, um, going from one to the other. Mm. Well, you must be in early 20s at that point, were you? I was, yeah, I was early 20s. I was 25, 24. I was 24 when, we, mm. when I moved, yeah. That's a good time to go to London too, because I mean, you're, you're sort of a bit yeah. more flexible and eyes are open. Like you said, there's a lot of sensory overload there in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, all the things you're, you're seeing and doing and everything yeah. that's going on. Uh, how was the actual, yeah. the, the immersion process? Did you enjoy it or was it... I did. I mean, I found it difficult because I think that I I found, certainly I found London a lot less friendly than being in Scotland. Mm -hmm. Um, So I did find, I did find that difficult. I found it hard to make friends because it felt like when I moved that everyone already had their own sort of groups. So that was quite challenging for me. Um, And there was also the added thing that actually I wasn't enjoying the work. So, um, yeah, I was being paid great, but I had, I felt like I had to sell some of my soul in all honesty. And I just didn't enjoy my time there. After about six months, I realized I was not an investment banking person. It just didn't click with my personality. And I was really worried about leaving too early about how it would look on my CV. So I wanted to stick it out for longer. You know, I was young. I thought this is going to, you know, this is going to look really bad. And, um, and so I decided, right, I'll stick it out for 18 months. And then that will look okay when I go to move. But I, I knew relatively early on that investment banking world wasn't for me. That's interesting. So you were, I mean, it was sort of selling your soul as such. I mean, what, mm. what was it, what part of the work did you really enjoy then? I suppose that, that you brought with you. Yeah. So if I could have done my work in a silo on my own with no interaction of anyone else there, I probably would have had a okay time. The work itself was interesting. The actual like sitting at my computer doing the work was, was interesting in itself. Um, I struggled with some of the personalities, shall we say that also existed in that situation people who were in all honesty quite willing to claim your work as theirs in order to get ahead Mm. and that didn't sit well with me I didn't like it and you know I just thought this is this is not actually what I want to be doing I don't want to do that so I'm not gonna progress here and then everyone's just gonna be claiming my stuff as theirs the rest of my life like this is not this is not where I want to be so yeah it's super interesting because I mean, one of the initial things you mm. said was, you know, in, in terms of your your fire in the belly, in terms of was, you know, ser- mm. serving and legacy, and yeah, and there you are serving, but it's not mm. you're not getting the recognition. Yeah, it's been taken in the wrong context. Yeah, is there a there's a switchover point there where it goes from being okay to not being okay? Yeah, completely for me, and I think that you know, I I think that. Um, it's really important to give people recognition for the work they do. I think that that is, um, I think that's just, I, I don't think that, I don't think you can actually grow and nurture a team if you brush over the work they're doing or, or and I just think that's 
horrible from a relationship perspective as well. If you're not acknowledging what people are doing and you're um, not, uh, what's the word? I suppose grateful in a way for people putting in the work and doing the effort. And that's, and I think if you don't do that, you just breed resentment and that's what happens. No, I, I get that. I mean, you know, it's, it's understanding, I suppose, then, you know, the people that are around you, what, you know, what sort of habits and traits were that, that didn't align with yours? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it was, de- I think it's probably a values clash in reality. Mm. Um, I, I didn't recognize that at the time. I was young and I, and I, and I just thought like, what are these people doing? <laughs> this is, this is weird. Um, but you know, looking back, there was definitely just a misalignment of, of values between mine and theirs. And that was, and that was okay. You know, some people, some lovely people are going to investment banking and work there all their lives and get on great and don't mind the politics. And, you know, they see that as just part of what they're in there for. And that's completely fine. But for me, I thought, why, why am I doing this? I don't need this. It's interesting. And I mean, I suppose we, you, you know, did you get to speak to your dad much? And, and is it something in your career that you talked about? Because I'm sure it was interesting for him too, right? Yeah, yeah. My dad and my husband were the main people that I spoke to about it, really. Um, and, you know, we, and we had those discussions like, okay, well, how long should I stick it out for? That was basically that was basically the discussions that we had, and and you know everyone was like, well, you know, a year and a half is probably fine because then you can, you know, then you've got eighteen months somewhere that's probably going to look okay. You've done more than a year's cycle because I was in a financial control role as well. You want to do more than you want to get through a year end basically as well, so that you've done the whole picture. So um, so it was like, well, a year and a half, you've done a cycle, you've done a little bit more than actually that's probably going to be okay. Um, so yeah, that's basically what I then sort of looked towards was, okay, this, I'll stick it out for this long. At this point, I'll start looking for something else in a different area. Mm. And did you stick to the plan? I did. Yes, I did. 18 months later, I left and I moved into oil and gas. So I went to work for BP in, um, in oil and gas, again, in a financial control, product control type role. Um, and uh, for the liquefied natural gas desk, LNG. Um, and I really enjoyed that. I really, really enjoyed my time at BP. The culture was very, very different. My boss was amazing. And, um, and I really, really loved my time there. Um, but weirdly, after about a year, they were offering up voluntary redundancy. And I thought, hmm, be a nice little, nice. they were giving quite a generous package for voluntary redundancy. So I put my hand up and said, okay, I'll, I'll volunteer for that. We'll get, you know, get a nice little windfall. And, um, and then I had this very strange experience that when they said, yes, you've been granted voluntary redundancy, I went, oh, hang on. <laughs> you don't want me? And they're like, you said you wanted this. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I felt very, I felt a huge amount of rejection at that point in time from that, which, wow. was a ve- which I never expected to feel because I was the one saying, yes, I'll go. Like, that's fine. But actually, when, that, when they said yes, I was like, oh, but hang on, I like this job. And I've just said I'm going to go. And now they say they don't want me. And there was a lot of weird emotions tied up with that. That's hilarious, yeah. <laughs> there is, as you say, this value is like what, you know, I sort of, off, I offered to maybe go expecting this sort of, yeah, yeah sort of, no, you Like, no, no, possibly. stay, we really want you. <laughs> yeah. 
okay. <laughs> it's like, wow, okay. So yeah. did, did you take it? Very old. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, I took voluntary redundancy and I moved into another role in oil and gas. So I moved to Centricub, the parent company, British Gas, and did, uh, did an oil and gas um, financial control role there as well. Wow. What was it about oil and gas? Is it just something that appealed or connected to the... I do wonder if it's because it was connected to the Aberdeen side of things. Um, it's never an industry that I actually saw myself being in. Um, but actually when I got into it, it was, I really enjoyed it. I found it really interesting. And so, um, yeah, so when I moved from BP, I thought actually I want to stay in this industry. I was really enjoying the work I was doing. I find it really interesting. So um, yeah, I thought actually, you know what, I'll stay in this industry and see, see where it goes. Mm. No, it's, um, I suppose, I mean, is the industry almost irrelevant to you? Because, I mean, a product's a product, right? You know, when it comes to the numbers and, you know, the structure and the format and the cycles may change, but. Yeah, I completely, it's, it's really interesting because actually a big part of what I enjoy with the work I have done and do is actually the learning outside of the actual head in desk stuff as it were so yes a number is a number a PL is a PL. but actually what i enjoy is i enjoy learning about the other bits mm. that surround that mm. and so um i think that's why i enjoyed oil, oil and gas because the area i was in was liquefied natural gas lng it was relatively new to the uk at that point in time and so there was a lot of stuff happening around it it was it was really interesting uh, well, I thought it was really interesting. I'm sure some people don't, but I found it incredibly interesting. And that's why I liked it was actually not just the, this is the profit and loss account. This is the budget. This is the balance sheet. This is the money you have to move. It wasn't that stuff. It was the, it was everything that surrounds it that I um, enjoyed. And actually this is the same now. The bit I really enjoy is speaking to clients and learning about their businesses and that. So it's, it's the supplemental stuff that I enjoy in a role, actually, I think. Mm. Well, that's what I was going to say. Because what what does interest you? You're saying it's 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 what it's connected to, is it? Mm, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think so. I think it's I think it's the ability to learn. Actually, I think is what interests me in what I do. I think it's the ability to keep growing and learning. Mm. Yeah, it's always yeah. yeah. It's interesting, I suppose, and mm. you know everything that's connected to. Yeah. That's cool. So in terms of then, when, when did you head, to, what you head to then? Once you'd, how long were you After, with those guys? So I was at BP for a year and then I was at Centrica for about a year and a half, at which point I started my own business. So that's when I moved to, um, to starting my own business. And it was just after we got married and we thought now might be a good time to give this a go. So I set up my business and I did it at the same time initially as I was working for Centrica. So I uh, started taking holiday days to go to networking events. This was 11 years ago. So there was a lot more sort of face-to-face -face networking events, much less social media stuff. Although Facebook and Twitter, it's both started to come on the scene a bit for business at that point. So I did some of that, but a lot of the stuff I was doing was face-to-face -face networking. So I used to have to take holidays off work. I used to sit in the car and do prospect calls at lunchtime. I used to do all that kind of stuff to, uh, to start building my business. And I was, I was kind of going along and doing that and, um, and I was enjoying it. I was really enjoying it. And after about 
six months, probably, I said to my husband, I'm really struggling for time now just to go to events, to meet with prospects, to have calls, to have client calls. Like this is starting to get too much. And we had this conversation over a weekend and, and he said, well, maybe we could ask to go part time. Maybe you could, you know, let's see what we can do. Incidentally, it was actually against my employment contract to have, to be running a business. So we'd had this discussion. I was like, well, if I ask to go part-time, what am I going to say? Like, how's that going to work? Can I go part-time? Why? Uh, <laughs> no reason. <laughs> that, was, that was, I was just kind of like, how's that going to work? So anyway, we sort of left it there like that on the Sunday. And by crazy coincidence of fate, on the Monday, got into the office and my manager said to me, uh, Annette, can I have a word in the meeting room? I'm like, oh, okay. Off I go. And he said, so it's come to my attention and I knew straight away what he was going to say. He said, it's come to my attention that you've been running a business. And I said, yes. And he said, you know, that's against your contract of employment. I said, yes. He said, so you have to choose what you want to do. And I said, well, I'm going to run my business. And he said, well, I'll therefore need your letter of resignation. He said, okay, okay, I'll get you my letter of resignation. I'll be on your desk tomorrow. And he said, and by the way, well done. I think it's a really good move. So it's like, great. So that was it, basically. That was me working my notice and, uh, and leaving corporate, leaving, you know, proper, proper employment, as it were, and moving to running my business full time. Mm. How are the energy levels at that point? <laughs> um, well, I... Uh, there were a mixture of petrified and excited. I was, I was really excited, but also I was thinking, Oh, what am I going to do? How am I going to fill a whole day? Like I knew that it was very difficult to work full time and run this business, but I knew that I also did not have enough work to fill nine to five, eight to six, whatever that looked like. So, um, so yeah, there was a bit of, okay. And actually that's when I dived into learning again. So I said, okay, I need to learn everything there is about finding clients, getting clients. How do I market? How do I sell? How do I grow this business? Because otherwise there, I'm going to have to go back and get a job. I'm not, you know, I need to work out how this is actually going to work in reality. Mm. And was, were you sort of positively driven at this point? I mean, was it something you were obviously looking forward to or was, okay. okay. Yeah. We just yeah, I was, I was, <laughs> I was very positively driven at that point. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Wow. And um, I mean, how did you find, obviously you're still based in London and going through all this, these changes and everything else was going on. Yeah. At that point I was, yeah. At that point I was still, we were still down South and, um, and yeah, so I kind of moved to working from home. And like I say, at that point, there was a lot of local networking and stuff that was done to build a business. So that's basically what I dived into at that point. I went to all the local events to try and get my name out there and to meet people. But whilst I was doing that, I was really very aware that we weren't going to be living in London forever. That was never, ever our plan was to live there for the rest of our lives. So whilst I was doing that, I, I had this kind of eye on the fact that actually at some point we're not going to live locally. So I need to also find clients who are willing to not, who are not just looking for a local accountant. They're willing to understand that actually I'm not going to be around the corner my whole life and their whole business life. So 
I was doing the local networking stuff, but I was also um, starting to use social media, even though at that point it was in its infancy to start you know, speaking about things and getting, trying to get clients that way at the same time. Um, so that as and when we moved, I wouldn't have to kind of burn the business down and start again somewhere else. So that's basically what I started doing was even though I was living quite locally to my clients, I started having calls via Skype at the time it was Zoom didn't exist. So it was, I started having, you know, video calls and things rather than face-to-face meetings to try and get that instilled in the relationship in the beginning that's amazing to get that as you say to almost have the foresight to build in mm. a non-geographical based business i mean yeah. almost ahead of your time in terms of that and, and you know getting that because yeah. i'm sure with accounting some people as you say they want to turn up with a bin bag of yes. letters <laughs> which is fine to a point but it's like yeah i don't know what's in this bag so yeah yeah yeah, I didn't really want those clients. I didn't want the bin bags with passports in clients. <laughs> it's, it's like a finder's keepers type thing, is it? It's like a yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anything non-account, I get to keep everything else. But yeah, yeah. Well, so that's, that's quite a quite a transition, and and you know, mm. I suppose one being on your own, but two also keeping keeping the eyes out then. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And at the beginning, I really wasn't particularly disciplined about the what I was doing during the day and things as well. I would, you know, I'd kind of get up and I'd have my laptop on my knee and I wasn't, I wasn't really, um, disciplined in my day. Whereas now it's very, very different. I get up at a, and, and, and even before kids, actually kids, of course, make you get up, but before, even before that, I, you know, I, I actually had a point where I thought, this is crazy. I need to get up. I need to get dressed. I need to, you know, get ready for the working day because otherwise my day would just drift. I'd have a shower at 11 o'clock because I had to go to a networking event at lunchtime. And, and actually the productivity levels were not where they should have been at that point in time. And, and I think at the beginning, actually, I probably um, dented my own growth at the beginning because I wasn't as focused and as productive as I could have or should have been. Now, maybe that was partly my age, partly the fact that I'd just come out these, um, you know, stressful corporate roles. And actually, I just needed a little bit of headspace and things. Um, Partly, because I didn't really know what to do on a daily basis. I was waking up and I was thinking, well, if I've done my client work, now what do I do? And, you know, so there was that as well that came into it. So there's a lot of factors that probably affected the fact that I was um, not as effective and productive as I could have been. Looking back, I think, I had all that time. What did I do with all that time? I know it is always interesting because I had 10 years in London myself and and Mm -hmm. that transition out you know, you yeah. go, I've come from a company of 10,000, whatever, yeah. you know, your day is allocated, you know, God forbid mm. you actually took a lunch, you no, know, it's noisy, never. it's meeting, 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 back to back, yeah. Blackberries as it yeah. was at the time for me mm. anyway. It was, yeah, me too. You know, and, and you're just constantly like, you know, mm. pinging and dinging and then there's wine after work and all, you know. Yes. And then you. Yeah. You, and then you've got a two hour commute because you've got an hour each way on the tube as well. Yeah. And then you, you, you suddenly go self-employed and you're mm. like, I'm not commuting. My yeah. I don't have a Blackberry. You know, I saw yeah. this. And it's, I mean, how was the transition for you? Um, I, I struggled actually. I really struggled in the beginning. I struggled, um, 
being my own all day I struggled with um with what to do and uh yeah it wasn't it wasn't that simple actually I I I loved part of it I loved the fact that I had made this jump into running my own business I was really pleased with that and I was really proud of that but also um it can be a bit lonely, actually, in the beginning, particularly when you start to run your own business, because you don't know, you do not know other business owners particularly well at that point in time. So it's not like you've got that camaraderie with them. Um, you've just lost all your colleagues. I mean, they're not lost. Clearly, you could stay in touch with them, but they now have a very different life to you. Their life still looks like yours used to, and yours is not even close to being the same anymore. Like we said, you don't have a hundred meetings a day. You don't have your BlackBerry pinging off every, I mean, I remember when I first started, um, I first started, I did have a BlackBerry for my business, but I, and I used to turn all the notifications on because it was really exciting when I would get a work email because that, because hardly anyone had my email address, hardly anyone knew who I was. And so that was a very different situation than I'd come out of um, in corporate. And and so your old corporate colleagues, they don't, they don't really get what your life looks like now. So, and often your partner or your husband or your wife or whatever that is, they probably also don't really get what your life is like now either, unless they've also been self-employed or running a business. And so I think that it can be an incredibly um, lonely journey at the beginning. And it can be really hard to, to actually say, I don't know what I'm doing here. And you know, I'm not sure what I should be doing every day. And I, I don't know how to find out. And I, all those things can be really difficult to start with. Cause hard to, as you say, you've made a, made a, you know, sort of, uh, made a big stand and says, right, I'm out of yeah. here. See you. Bye. Yeah. And later. Confidently yeah. stormed out of the office. And you're like, Ooh, you're like Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you have to, as you say, you have to sort of for all those round years going, yes, it was the right move. And I'm glad I did it. And mm. then you get home and go, what have I done? Yeah. yeah yeah exactly exactly there's a real mixed emotion to it for sure 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 that's amazing how our, our values adjust at that time right you know it's like although mm. although you maybe do get value conflicts and maybe not where you really want to be long term and what's going on but yet mm. you, you quickly adjust and, and that becomes your security yeah. blanket you know and yeah. you're like well yeah do i love london yeah it's fine and it works for me and i work yeah. for it and that's fine but ultimately yeah. where you really want to be you know yeah yeah completely completely so so talk to us about then sort of how you know growing your business and, and working for mm. yourself then so after you know after I, t- I took the jump I basically um like I said I piled into learning I piled into learning about marketing and about sales because I had no idea about those sides at all it's not something I'd ever ever read about looked at or anything so I dived into that to try and figure out how I grow this business. I knew I could do the accounting side. That was like, okay, fine. But the rest, I was like, oh, hang on a minute. There's all this other stuff. So I learned how to build a website and all that kind of thing. Um, learned a lot about marketing and, um, and that side as well. And basically uh, then did, again, a lot of local networking, started doing um, social media stuff and basically kept doing that to build up a client base and a client portfolio. And then, um, you know, I just grew the business that way. And also through kind of referrals from existing clients as I grew and grew and grew. And then 
uh, got to the point where I started needing a helping hand with the workload. So um, got some kind of contractors in at the beginning to help me with that type of side of things as well. Um, because yeah, because it was just getting too much for me on my own. Um, and again, knowing that I didn't want to be in London forever, I um, when I was getting people in to help and support me, I was doing that. Rem- they were remote. So it wasn't like everyone come to an office. I was at working from home. And so was everyone else. And that's, I knew that's the way that I wanted to build the business as well. And actually it's the same way that we operate now with or without COVID everyone works from home and everyone is remotely located. Um, because, you know, we all want to have that ability to not be stuck to one location. So Kind of going back to that point in time, I started doing that and I started growing. Um, And then, um, and I continued doing that for, must be five years. And then I got pregnant with my son and um, got pregnant with him. That was all great. And, uh, and then came, he, he was, he was born. And, and the thing is my husband and I had always spoken about at some point him being a stay at home dad. And it was like, is this doable? Is this going to work? I was pregnant at that point. It was like, I don't think like the business wasn't earning what his wage was earning. And so it was like, "Mm, not sure about this, but continued whilst I was pregnant to grow the business. I, I worked up to the point my waters broke on that, basically, uh, literally up to that point. And, um, and then two days later, three days later, because it was the weekend, I was back at my desk. So I was constantly still trying to grow this business. And, and that became very, very challenging at that point, because now I had a newborn and a business, and Alex was still working full time. So that is when, <laughs> that is when things got really hard because I was basically having to try and work during, they say, they say, when you have a baby, don't worry, mom, sleep when baby sleeps in nap time. I had to, I had to work when baby slept in nap time. That's basically what I had to do because I had this, I had a full client load. Um, I was still growing a business. And so I, uh, I basically worked whenever I could. When he slept, I worked full stop. Um, in the evenings when Alex came home, I would work. In the mornings before you go to work, I would work. The weekends, I would work. And um, and it was exhausting. I was He didn't really sleep very well either. So I was doing night feeds and all this kind of stuff. After a little while, um, Alex helped with the night feeds as well when he could. Um, but it was really, really exhausting at that point. And, but my business was still growing. It was still growing. And actually, um, and my in-laws came and helped out. Um, they did a day a week and stuff with him as well. And so it got to about, he got to about 18 months old whilst I was doing this all at the same time. And, um, and we decided actually it's best that Alex comes and be a stay-at-home dad. And then I go into the business and have normal hours and, and all those kinds of things again. Um, and we were at a place then at that point where it was just about doable. So we thought, you know what, we'll just take the plunge and we'll plan that the business will grow anyway and we'll be able to, we'll be okay. And that's basically what we did. So he left his job 
he became a stay-at-home dad full-time and um, and I had my kind of working days back to being normal working days still working from home but it meant that you know during the nine to five as it were um, I didn't have to worry about Brock or childcare or any of that stuff um, that was all Alex's domain and so um, so we we chugged along like that I fell pregnant with Callie and um, and then very similar. Callie was born three days later. I'm back at my desk. Um, and then Alex is looking after the two of them full time from then. And, uh, and I continue to work. Oh, that's unreal. I mean, it is unreal. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. In hindsight, I, I, in hindsight, I should have taken some maternity leave off. I, at that point in, in all honesty, I was really scared to say to my clients, I need a few weeks off. I was, I, I still felt like the, the business was too immature for me to step away for two, three, four weeks. I was really worried that um, I'd be letting people down. I was worried that, um, that it wasn't professional in inverted commas. And I was really hung up on that. And I wish that I'd had the, um, the ability just to say to people, look, I've got a newborn. I need to, I need this time to, you know, rest and recover for myself, if nothing else. Um, but at that point I, I didn't feel confident enough to do that. It's not amazing. Why do you, why do you feel you didn't have the confidence? I, I feel, well, in part, I think it's because my clients pay monthly and I was telling my story to myself that, well, they pay monthly, therefore I should be there for them. And if there's a month that goes by that I'm not, then what is, you know, what are they getting? Now, in reality, I had team doing like the number crunching stuff. There was stuff still happening and I could have easily communicated that, but I felt nervous too. I felt scared and nervous too. And I, and I thought they'll all walk away. I thought they'll think I'm not serious about my business or theirs and therefore they'll walk away. Of course, in reality, looking back now, I don't think that would have been the case at all. And I suspect there was a lot of hormones <laughs> tied up in those, uh, in those decisions and those thoughts. But that is, that's what I thought at the time. It's always, yeah, it's, it's amazing the, the feelings and emotions we, we attach to mm. all that, you know, as, as, yeah. as you say, and it's hard because you are your own boss and, yeah. Sometimes the inner dialogue is is worse than what anyone else can say. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. the uh, the things The things that most people tell themselves are never things they would actually ever say aloud to somebody else. Mm. No, it's yeah. And our dialogue can be pretty. It can be well, it's cutting because it no. <laughs> it can be <laughs> mean. It can be really mean. <laughs> it's like our own. Exactly, it's our own. We know the words to say or the certain things mm. that actually trigger us completely. Whereas yeah. somebody else trying to insult us could be fishing around for a while to hit the right thing that, yes. that actually gets us. Yeah, can, our own, our own, our own voice. I mean, did, you know, you talked about networking and things like that. I mean, did you, mm. did, did you work on in terms of your mindset in terms of your own mental space and things like that? Did, was that coming into, or was it always, you know, business orientated? Yeah, I, d I have done, um, I am a big reader of business books as well. So, and I love listening to podcasts. So I love consuming information and consuming content. So, um, so yeah, I mean, over the years I've done, I've, you know, read a lot of books and listened to a lot of podcasts all around, not just the kind of practicalities of business, but the mindset aspect of running a business for sure as well. 
who's your go-to in terms of reading books who's your who do you look at um well there's quite a few if you can see my shelf behind me that i have that i have um i don't think i've got one one like pinpointed go-to to be honest i think i like i like um reading over a kind of spectrum of of business information really and I'm not I'm not really kind of pinpointed on one individual person um I do like the um saying that I do like the stuff that Kelly Roach has so she has three or four books now um and I do like her books um I think they're I find them very practical I'm quite a practical logical person and so I do enjoy reading things that are that are very practical rather than a bit more floaty Mm. so it needs to be hard number you need to see it you need to feel it and yeah 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 I like that just while we're on it I have to ask and for people listening in the background, I can see a little, look like a, a framed picture or something that says S minus P equals E. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was a gift. And it basically, um, that, it stands for sales minus profit equals expenses. And cool. that comes from, that actually comes from a book. And it's this book um, here called Profit First by Mike Malkowitz. And he speaks about um, basically flipping the standard equation in business. So the standard equation being sales less expenses equals profit. Yet too many business owners don't end up with any profit because there's no focus on it. And it's like the leftovers that they end up with. And that can sometimes be a loss and sometimes be very, very little. And he speaks about flipping the equation to sales less profit equals expenses. So making sure that as the title of the book says you you set aside your profit first so that you live your business runs on the expenses that are left over basically making sure you pay yourself first so that's what that that's what that is how does that resonate with, with you then in terms of pay yourself first I think it's really important. I think it's incredibly important. We do a lot of work um, on that with business owners because I feel like if you don't, if you don't do that, you end up in resentment for your business. You and and that was and that's the position I was in probably for the first three or four years of running the business was that yes I was working and getting new clients on board but actually all the money was going back into the business and and you st- you just start getting quite down about it because it's every new client you're putting in this extra work and it's like well what have I got for this I've got nothing to show for this and so I'm a big fan of this system because and and this kind of ethos because actually the more that we can support our families and the more that we can do that then the more that we can do other good in the world and until until our own needs are met then actually the way that we show up and support other people is going to be lessened as well. That's interesting. Cause I mean, I was, I was getting some almost pleaser genes in there earlier when you were talking about, you know, in terms of, you know, mm. again, sort of having just had the child that, you know, mm. the monthly subscriptions and all the rest, but I have to be there. I have to be present. Yeah. You know, I, was it a case of almost seeking that recognition or it was that side or, yeah, yeah what you just said almost contradicts that slightly. Yeah, there's definitely there's definitely a seeking recognition part to to my personality for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I I um I like the acknowledgement and I like the um there's definitely some ego associated with that for sure. 
Do you know where that comes from? I don't know where that comes from. I don't know where that comes from. I think there's, there's certainly a people pleasing aspect to it. Um, and a kind of, uh, a kind of, you know, being the good one type aspect to it Mm. for sure. Um, you know, that was always something that I wanted to be throughout my life was the good one, the one that did well, the one and, and getting acknowledgement and getting praise for that. So I think it probably comes from a bit of that as well. It's interesting because you described yourself right at the start as a mm, good girl. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so even from there, it was, you know. Yeah, was, it definitely, know, I mean, it's, it's definitely yeah. come through from childhood. You know, I was, I was never somebody that went out and, you know, got drunk every weekend when I was a kid. I haven't smoked. I never did any drugs. Like I didn't do any of that stuff. I was, I was, as you say, the good, the good girl. And, um, and that's something I, I, that I was, I guess, um, praised for as a child. I was, you know, that was a good thing Mm -hmm. in our family that that's how I was. And therefore actually it's something that I've definitely taken into my adult life as well. How do you feel about I that now? I find it challenging now, actually. I do find it challenging because it also leads to a perfectionism uh, situation mm. as well. And I don't always think that's healthy. Why not? Um, because nothing is perfect. Nothing can be perfect. It's life. Life is messy. Um, and therefore, if you're always seeking perfection, actually, you're eventually going to drive yourself crazy. Mm. It's always interesting, you know. We're we're all good at driving ourselves crazy mm. in so many ways. Yeah. But no, I mean it's 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 interesting. You've obviously, well, it, it comes across that you you've you've processed a lot of this. Or you've mm. thought about it. You know, this is not just a sort of an unconscious thought. Now it's it's something you've gone yeah. through. Even from picking up in terms of you know you have your own podcast mm-hmm. there. You know, you, you, as you call it, Uncover Wealth mm-hmm. Radio. Um, and interestingly, you, your your sort of uh, your keywords there you pulled out are profit, mm-hmm. wealth, and happiness. Yes. Can you talk to? Yeah, us I that? think they're all related. Actually, um, I think that all are important in business, and I think all are related. And when I speak about wealth, I don't just mean financial wealth; I mean life and 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 happiness. And I think all those words are actually linked to each other because. Um, what's the point in having a business if we don't have all those three? I think, I think they have to be there because like I said before, I think you breed resentment if you don't have them. If you're running a business and you're not happy about it, what's the point? If you're running a business and you're not profitable, what's the point? And if, you're, if, if, if the wealth of those things does not exist in your life, what's the point? You know, why, why do things that are not enriching you in all areas? That's it. makes a lot of sense. Is there a, is there a sort of a mantra or an ethos that you generally try and apply things, you know, your life to and the way you do things? Um, hmm, not consciously. <laughs> um, is um, I think kindness is probably the big one. Mm. Mm. That's the what. That's, that's what comes that's to it. mind. Yeah. That's interesting as well. 
And uh, no, because like I say, I'm, I'm sort of struck by almost and going right back again to you talked about, you know, servicing, serving legacy and family and how you've actually tied that back across the wealth as well, which I find quite, mm. you know, it's, it's great. You know, that yeah. it suggests a, a sort of a lot of a lot of work or a lot of thing, you know, searching has been done around that that would suggest that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I do, I try and, um, I try and develop myself all the Mm. time. That's, that's something that I think is really important as in all areas, actually, as a parent, as a business owner, as a, you know, daughter, as a spouse, as a whatever in the world, I think it's important that we are trying to um, understand ourselves. I think it's important that we're trying to understand other people. And I think it's important that we are um, doing what we can in society. So, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And in terms then, I suppose, from from your parenting point of view, what's what's your style as a parent? Ah, uh, what is my style? trying to understand my children where they're coming from to understand why they feel certain things and when to um, instill kindness always and um, to be supportive of them and what they want to do and why even though they're only little their feel their thoughts are valid their feelings are valid and their opinions are valid now i'm not saying that that means that we have ice cream at breakfast but you then have a conversation with them about why that might not be the case so you know making sure that um i we treat them as people is really important no, it makes a lot of sense. It is. Well, nothing wrong with ice cream for breakfast, by the way, but <laughs> it's like... Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. Some, some days it feels like ice cream for breakfast might actually be a good idea. <laughs> yeah. I know. Just don't, just don't tell the kids, yeah, you know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Wait till they go to school then have the ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. So bring us, I mean, what, what's, you know, where you are now in terms of, you know, who... Who can you serve best? I mean, who, who is really your sort of avatar as such? Um, our best clients are basically coaches, consultants, trainers, people in service-based businesses, essentially, um, whose revenue level is between about 100K and 3 million. That's basically where the bulk of our clients are, and that's where we do our best work with those types of clients. Um, yeah. In terms of then, you know, working with those people, do you do you prefer to be more hands on, or how how do you normally work? I mean, yeah, absolutely. We definitely definitely prefer to be more hands on. Um, Like I said, I love learning about businesses, and I love learning about what you know why a client's doing their business, what they love about it, and 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 what's driving the business. So that's something that I find incredibly interesting. So for a lot of our clients, we um, of course do all the compliance stuff, final accounts, tax returns, all that stuff, bookkeeping stuff. But what we really focus on is looking at the profitability of their business and that side of things. And for for a number of clients, we have monthly calls with them. Some we have weekly calls with them to keep on top of all that with them to help and support them in their business's vision and what they want to achieve as well. Mm. Because I noticed there on, on even on your website there, you know, there's, there's a couple of key things you pulled out. So one is, mm-hmm. you know, money leaks plugged, you know, that's, mm. that's, that's quite a big one. Hidden cash revealed. Yeah. So these are almost potentially things if I've understood correctly that are already built into the business, but mm. they maybe aren't being utilized or being revealed. Is that a fair? Exactly. 
Yeah, that's completely fair. So many, many businesses um, are operating with basically things that the business owner does not need to work harder and they don't need to put in more hours. But actually, if we look at how they're spending money, perhaps it could be done in a different way to make them more profitable or even to just generate more revenue. And then also, you know, if you look at things like team, are there systems you can put in place for your team and those kinds of things to make them more focused on revenue generation, perhaps, so that it's not actually the business owner that's having to work harder to get these results actually is it's it's looking smarter at the numbers and what they're telling you and um and how you're using the money that already exists in the business as well so i mean typically what sort of areas you you know you you sort of tend to find that you know there is profit or money sitting Mm. being wasted yeah so typically there is often what we what we do is we often look and just get a complete download of all the businesses spending by, by sort of supplier level, not when oh, this is the, in the telephone bucket and this is in the, uh, the advertising bucket, but actually like by supplier. And often you'll find that people have got bits of software they don't use anymore. They've got um, ad spend that's not performing for them. So there's various bits that actually, once you dig in, you go, hang on a minute, is this working? Is this delivering your return? No. Okay. Why, why are you spending it then? And so, and I think that, you know, when we're running a business, you can get really used to just business as usual, just things chugging along and actually taking a step back and examining each individual amount that goes out your bank account on a monthly basis can actually yield some great results. Cause you go, well, actually don't use that. I've never used not, you know, or I need to downgrade that. That's way too high a package and those kinds of things. So that can be a really basic starting point for people. And then as well, we find that many business owners, um, because running a business is busy, we all have a to-do list as long as our arm, sometimes we forget about the real basics. So the emailing your list, for example, can just go out the window and people completely forget it. But actually, when they do it regularly, they make sales off the back of it. So there can be some you know, other standard things like monitoring certain um, numbers in your business, how they're trending, for example, whether it's the bank account, your age debtors, whatever those might be, and just going, okay, well, if you, if you looked at that trend, then this is what it's telling you. That's, you know, always trends and, and I suppose business as usual as a term, as you mentioned mm. there, it's, it's it could be both very profitable but also incredibly dangerous yeah completely completely and i think it's always good to um and and it's really hard to try and take that step back from your own business and try and look at a, a more um overall view and it's really hard because you're most of the time you're stuck in the day-to-day you're probably fighting a few fires or wondering if you're if you're not you're wondering if anything is smoldering and it's and it's really hard to then kind of examine anything from a distance at all because you're just in the in the weeds often all the time. And so setting aside that time and actually being able to say, oh, okay, let's look at this whole picture. Let's look at this, you know, cash statement, profit and loss account, bank account, whatever that is. And let's just really see what's actually happening in there because most people don't. That's interesting. I mean, and do you, do you tend to find there that, you need to have a level of awareness, you know, in terms of, because I'm sure there's some creative people who are creative geniuses, but 
I mean, the, <laughs> the finances were a bit of a car crash. Yeah, absolutely. And completely true, which is, which is what we support a lot of clients that are in that, in that creative space with, because they absolutely don't. And, and it goes back to that kind of burying your head in the sand stuff. They're really not interested in the numbers, but there's an awareness somewhere in there that actually I, I have no interest in this. I'm not interested in it at all. Like I, money doesn't motivate me. I don't care about the numbers. But there's, a, there's always a niggling thing that says, yeah, but if you don't make a profit, you're going to go out of business. You're going to run out of cash. And so when you can get them to understand that, which most people do, then actually they go, okay, well, hang on. Or they may have a spouse, a partner saying to them, when are you going to take home money from this business? You seem to be working pretty hard in it. Like what's, what's happening here? <clears throat> and that can start to jig them into a, oh yeah, actually, hang on a minute. Mm. It's, it is interesting, you know, and that's, you know, money doesn't motivate me type scenario, mm. you know, that, that, yeah. I mean, it does it, how do you attach, you know, someone who is creative based as in, you know, forward and mm. I want to come up with the next idea, but also then going, we have to hit reality here too, where, as you say, bills have to be paid and, spouses yeah. and opportunities right so how, how do you yeah. cross that boundary for them basically by having lots of conversations about it and um you know and everyone's kind of trigger points on those are different but it is explaining that you know you spending money in the business is fine but it's a but often it can be a trade-off so either you spend it in the business or you take it home to live like which do you want you have a choice here but we don't have a money tree so like where do you want it to go and, you know, getting them to realize that actually it's one or the other and they need to prioritize which that is. And I can't make that decision for them. They have to make that decision. But when they make that decision, they, it's best that they do it in a way that is strategic and in a way that they actually understand what it means. Because in your scenario there, I mean, you're talking about sort of, you know, profit being, mm. you know, absolutely key. I mean, how do you, how do you define profit? Um, profit. Well, the, it's interesting because under kind of accounting profit is a little bit different than how I speak to clients about profit. So of course you have to draw up accounts in a certain way with certain rules and regulations and you get a profit number at the end of the day. Now, most business owners look at that profit number and go, that means nothing to me. Like, where's that money? Quite frankly, if that profit is being shown on my accounts. <laughs> So I say, yeah, completely ignore that bit. Profit for most business owners is the money left in the bank account. It is, it is what's there. I mean, that to all intents and purposes is, is profit, but it's basically cash income, less cash expenses. And that's how most business owners think about profit. And that's how we have profit discussions with clients, because that is actually the number that matters most at the end of the day rather than the number that falls out of a beautifully prepared set of annual accounts and, and uh, our interpretation or our mental attitude towards profit i mean uh, you know you mentioned yourself in terms of you know immersing yourself and learning mm. and you know expanding and growing and all that and but somebody else might be that wow that's that's my holiday yeah. to wherever taken care of i mean is there um is there a mechanism or anything that you sort of work around in terms of how you, you know, how you uh, attach value to profit in terms of? Yeah. 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 I think it does. So, I mean, fundamentally 
as a business owner, if you are happy with what you do with your profit, that's what matters. If you're strategic with what you do with your profit, that is where it comes from. So, and strategic can be taking it out and going on holiday. That can be your strategy is to take it home and have fun. Absolutely. Or your strategy might be, you know what? I don't want any take home just now. I want to go hell to leather on building this business. I'm all in on it. And that's where I want to put my profit. That's fine. Again, though, it's only fine if it's strategic, because what tends to happen in that situation is just overspending rather than an actual strategy for reinvestment and growth. So that's where I think there's the the dividing line is if you're happy with how the business is going, do what you want with the profit. It doesn't matter. But make sure that if it's going back into the business, it's done strategically and it's not done because it's just spending too much. How do you manage that yourself? You don't mind me asking? I don't mind you asking. Um, Communication as a family as to what we want to achieve on that side. And then looking at the targets for business growth as well and, and balancing up the two. I err on the side of taking money out of the business for us as a family. That's where I go to because like I said before, I firmly believe that we have our life and our business should be in support of that. That's, that's what I believe. And that's, that's therefore how I operate my business is that my business will be in support of my life and not the other way around. Hmm. it is i mean it's always interesting that you you know getting that and in terms of forward Mm. planning then i mean do you forward plan in terms of you know where you want to get to your compounding you know etc i love planning (laughs) i love planning it's i am a massive massive fan of planning but of course plans are a complete waste of time if you don't actually implement them if you don't actually then take the time to put them in place they are a complete waste of time but i love planning i love setting a target and a goal and i love hitting it that is a that's that helps drive me in business every single day is that side of things. So yeah, I am. uh, And that might be, that might also be coming back to the good girl thing and the perfectionism thing and hitting, you know, if I say something and I achieve it, it probably is all linked. It's probably all goes together. But yeah, I'm a big, big fan of planning. Um, And I think, I, I, I know that people have said this before, but you know, in terms of the time you spend planning saves you time along the lines, even though people don't want to set aside time to plan. I'm a big believer that it does save you time in the future. And, and I have, you know, I have big long lists of things and, and all that kind of stuff because I'm a big, I'm a big uh, planner. I was going to say, give us an insight. How does that, how does that feel for you? I mean, what's, what does it look like? Um, so in terms of family side of things, my husband and I have a conversation each week about what's coming up, who needs to do what, you know, who's doing pickups, who's doing drop-offs, what, whose birthday parties do we have coming up? Who's buying that thing? Like we do, we do that together. And then on a business side of things on a Monday morning, the first thing I do is I write down everything that's in my head that needs to be done that week. I just brain dump absolutely everything. I end up with like lists and lists of stuff and then I say okay well who you know who in the team can do that how can I delegate that out and then what's for me and then I put it in my calendar anything that I need to do I actually block out time and I actually put the individual things into my diary because if I don't do that I'm not going to magically find time from somewhere so it's never going to get done so I, I actually time block my diary um, out every day mm. 
No, that's great. That's and that include, that includes family time as well. That includes family time. So I have in my diary every day, five to seven thirty is like family dinner, children's bedtime type time. I have that in there too. So I have everything blocked out. Always five to seven thirty is always chaos. <laughs> it's lovely chaos. Yeah, that's fun. why. That's that's why I have to be at home because otherwise Alex would have to deal with the chaos and uh, and I don't feel right putting that all on him every day. So and we have dinner as a family every night as well. So we have dinner with the kids when they eat and we have you know we all have dinner together. So um, mm. that's lovely time as well. It's always amazing that sort of level of negotiation, you know, <laughs> trying to get everyone sitting at the same time. You kind of go, is this peaceful? Is this great family time? You know, it's like yeah. stress levels are or up is here. It crazy? But... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they are. Oh no, it's awesome in terms of doing that. So, so what, I mean, in terms of forward planning then, I mean, how far forward do you, do you mm. tend to lean in terms of your goals and targets and things? Uh, so business wise, I will look, I've got, I've got a 10 year org chart drawn out. So I know what my business, I want my business to look like in 10 years, but um, you know, that's very kind of up there and the granularity level doesn't happen. Um, The granular I've got sort of the next 90 days planned out um, and it gets more and more granular the closer we get to that. Mm -hmm. But in terms of big picture, I've got the next five to 10 years kind of in my mind, but not necessarily, you know, like numbers against that. The numbers go against it a year out really. And then after that, it's more, okay, I want to go in this direction and this is, you know, where I'm headed. Because again, I'm a firm believer that if we don't know where we're going to, where we're going to end up or where we want to end up, there is no way we can actually get there. It's like going, it's like sitting in your car, not putting in the sat nav, what your final destination is. And then it's driving around and hoping you make it to the party. Like that's never going to happen. You're never going to stumble across it. So <laughs> I feel like it's the same in business. And if we don't know, and in our lives, if we don't know where we want to go, what that looks like for us, then how can we possibly work towards it? And, and I've seen it as well. I've seen it in businesses with business owners who've got seven, eight figure businesses. And they realize that this is not what I wanted how, what am I going to do now? And they, and they feel like they're in too deep and there's too much revenue, too many clients, too much take home to actually change anything or end anything. And I don't want to be in that position. It's, it is interesting, you know, because they talk about sort of businesses being in certain pond sizes, you know, and whether they sort of, you know, mm. entrepreneurs and it grows, it grows almost, it feels like it's yeah. the, the business is bigger than them. And then it sort of goes into yeah. you know, sort of mini size, medium size, you know, bigger mm. businesses. And I yeah. mean, it's, it's always interesting, you know, when you say you, you've such a revenue, uh, you know, you've such a revenue sort of stream to actually service that actually you sort of go, my business, mm. I have to do it. And it's saying yeah. the language changes yeah. to what you want to do. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. And I think that's often the case for people. And I think it's really important to try and get that balance that yes, you have to do it, but you also want to do it. And I think that that, I think planning comes into that a lot in that, okay, you know, in, in 10 years time, do I see myself still working one-to-one with clients? Do I see myself stepping back and doing something over here? Like, what do I see for myself in that? Okay. Well, therefore I need to build my business with that in mind and build that way because otherwise I'm going to end up in a place I don't want to be. And I think that's really important for, for regardless of where you are in the business life cycle actually is to say, okay, what do I, where do I want to end up? What does that look like for me? Mm. 
No, it's, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. I'm curious then in terms of the services you offer then, I mean, what's, mm. you know, there's a lot there in terms of, you know, you give back a lot. So in terms of, you know, the, on the, the podcast side, you know, the community mm-hmm. side, all that, you know, it's where, where can you add most value and, and sort of help people? And, and what's your overall strategy, if you don't mind me asking? Absolutely. So where we help people most is helping make their business more profitable. You know, they can, in reality, they can get any accountant to do their filing. That's, that's just, you know, that's just a process you have to go through. Um, but where we add the value is, is that, um, is that profitability side of things and that strategic side of things much more than I believe pretty much any other accounting firm out there, because that is heavily what we focus on with clients. So that's where we add the value. So it's always good to, it's always good to see that, you know, that where that focus lies. Mm. Tell me this in terms of, you know, legacy was, was something you mentioned right at the start. What define that for us, if you would. So legacy for me is being able to uh, positively impact as many businesses as possible. That's what legacy is to me. And that's in part why I produce a lot of content and do the work that we do with clients, because that is what I want to do. I want to be able to positively impact as many business owners as I can. And in terms of personal legacy, I mean, do you you Mm. hear where you're going there? I think personal legacy for me, I see that as, um, as bringing up my children with the right, the, I'm going to say right with, uh, with appropriate values. Um, you know, as I said before, kindness is a big one for us and our family. I think that, um, you know, bringing up children that are an emotion, emotionally intelligent as well and understand that is really important. So that's on a personal side, that's where I see my legacy is, um, is making sure that, um, that they are healthy and happy and that uh, emotionally and uh, and that side of it. Mm-hmm. And interesting then in terms of, you know, for where you are now, I mean, what would you say or how would you sort of help sort of mini Annette, you know, way back? What, what sort of advice oh. and help would you do? What would I tell mini Annette? Probably just be you. Just be you. Don't worry. Don't worry about stuff. Will happen, you know. Just, just don't worry. Be be yourself. Things will be okay. It's very, it's very deep, <laughs> deep sounding, resounding. Yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. What's a guilty pleasure for you? Chocolate. <laughs> give it. Give us your go-to. What's oh. Honestly, any chocolate is my go-to. Like I am, I I could quite easily buy a like you know the, you know these you know those bars you get at Christmas like the really mass. I could easily, honestly, sit and eat one of those in a day. I mean, I would probably feel sick at the end of the day, but I could still do it. I would still like force it in, be like, oh, this is too good. So pretty much any anything chocolate related is a is a big uh, Achilles heel for me. <laughs> So are we talking always milk chocolate or dark no, chocolate? No, any, any white milk, dark, doesn't matter. <laughs> like seriously, any chocolate is all good. 
<laughs> oh, I love it. And then for leisure and pleasure, what's, what's, what's up there for you? Yeah, so I like exercising. I like to run. I like to go to the gym. Um, I enjoy that a lot. I've, I just recently started mountain biking as well, which I'm, uh, which I'm finding very fun. Um, as a family, we like doing outdoors stuff. So whether that's on um, you know, cycling with the kids or hill walking, that kind of stuff. Um, I enjoy doing and I enjoy reading as well. I don't get a huge amount of time to read nowadays, but uh, I do enjoy that as well. No, that's awesome. Bit of a strange one. I mean, do you, do you love yourself? Do you value yourself? Most of the time. Most mm. of the time. Not always, but most of the time I do, yeah. It's, it's, always, it's always interesting how people answer. Mm. You know, it's yeah. you find, I mean, you keep on top of yourself in terms of monitoring your own of mental position yeah i do i I, and i think it's really important um you know i find that i definitely feel if i don't go outside very much if i'm not in nature a lot if i don't exercise i can feel that that impacts me and so i do make sure that i consciously do those things in order to keep my kind of mental health where I want it to be sitting so yeah for sure I definitely find that and I also actually find like we said earlier sleep plays a factor in that too mm, that's awesome so if you were to summarize your fire in the belly then in one or two words what, what would it be family happiness and legacy. Mm. That awesome. was three. I know you asked for one or two. That was three. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it, it's interesting how, because your original answer was family legacy and serving, but mm, the, the serving, was, yeah. the serving is part of the, the happiness, you know, so. Awesome. It is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Tell us where can people reach out to you, find you, track mm. you down, stalk you, follow you? <laughs> Absolutely. So um, if they are running a business, then um, you can join the Uncover Wealth community, which is my private Facebook community. I should love to have you in there. I also, of course, like you said, have a podcast, Uncover Wealth Radio. And in most places across the internet, you can find me um, as Annette Fergs, Annette underscore Fergs or Annette Ferguson. So um, I'm Annette underscore Fergs on Twitter and Instagram and then pretty much everywhere else I'm Annette Ferguson. The website is annetteandco.co.uk. Super. Annette, it's been absolutely wonderful having you on. So thank you very much. It's been really lovely to chat, Pete. Thank you so much for having me. Well, that was another great episode of Fire in the Belly. You know, this really wouldn't be possible without a great guest taking the time to share their personal journeys. And boy, boy, sometimes it is personal. It's an absolute pleasure to have that and then to hear the journeys that people have been on. We've loads more episodes coming up soon and it's always a pleasure to have guests on. If you do happen to know anyone with true fire in their belly, please reach out to us so we can share their journey, lessons and successes. So all that's left to say is have a great day, live with fire in your belly and be the mightiest version of you.